Hi, my name is Caitlin and welcome to the Gospel House. Our mission here at the Gospel House is to show the world that the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough, that in the gospel we can find all of our deepest needs met as the entire church responds to and applies implications of the gospel. We would love to show it with you. Check out our website, www.thegospel.house, where you can learn more about us, find out how to connect with us, ask questions, see when and where our next meeting is, and give to help advance this gospel message of Jesus Christ. Well, we are in week two of our Easter sermon series, Behold the Man. And each week we're talking about the truth that we can learn from Jesus from those people who walked with him in his final days of his life here on this earth. Last week we talked about Peter. Uh, We talked about how Peter knew without question that Jesus was God. This was why Jesus washing Peter's feet was so offensive to Peter. This grace that Jesus showed, Peter knew he wasn't worth it. And so this grace was offensive. And we talked about how, that, how grace needs to be a little bit more offensive to us today than it is. Uh, the church today, the popular church today, sells cheap grace. Uh, cheap grace downplays the cost of what Jesus really paid to save our souls. But real grace recognizes that I am a sinner, that I'm not entitled to anything. That, that I'm not entitled to anything that God gives me, but God still gives it freely. And so when I come to God, I come to him humbly, right? We talked about that, that idea, you know, a lot of people talk about this boldly come before the throne of God, and in prayer, we boldly approach the throne of God. And, and I understand that, and I get that. We are called children of God. We are a new creation that is who we are. But nowhere in Scripture does it tell us that being a child of God entitles us to lay down our humility. We are still told over and over, one of my favorite passages in Scripture, Micah 6, 8, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. We've got to walk humbly with God, which means that we don't cling to our sin life, We let that go. We are a new creation. We let it go, but we never forget that that's where we came from. We never forget that that's where Jesus pulled us out of. And if I stop relying on the Holy Spirit, that's the only thing that's waiting for me, is that sin life. And so we've got to get to that state of dependence. Um, We talked about how Peter tried to love Jesus with a flashy love, right? Every time Jesus asked something of his disciples, Peter was always like, I'll do it, Jesus, and I'll do it to the nth degree, right? He's always jumping up. I'll do it. I'll do it, Jesus. Jesus, look at me. Look at me. Look at me. But we talked about how God's love isn't like that. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, he wasn't like, hey, guys, look at me. Look at what I'm doing for you. I love you so much. I'm hanging on the cross. That wasn't what Jesus did, right? God's love is a quiet love. It's a steady love. And when God calls his disciples, he asks us to love, actually, no, he demands us to love exactly as he loved. And we talked about that incredible story at the end of the book of John, where where Peter and Jesus have this exchange, where Jesus keeps coming to Peter, asking him, do you agape love me? And Peter keeps responding, I phileo love you. 
recognizing there's a difference between the love Jesus offers and the love Peter is willing to give or able to give. But then on the day of Pentecost, Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit, and all of a sudden, Peter is able to give this agape love. We cannot do it on our own. We can't. But Jesus loved us perfectly. A selfless, perfect love. A love that comes from somebody far greater, given freely to somebody who could never deserve it. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can love the exact same way that God loves us. But we've got to stay plugged into the Holy Spirit every second of every day. So that was what we talked about with Peter. Now, today, we turn our attention to Judas. Probably the second greatest villain in the Bible. First greatest being Satan himself. But Judas is right up there, right? Just pull, show of hands. How many of you know someone named Judas? Right? Because Judas, the name Judas is synonymous with betrayal. It's synonymous with evil, with bad. Nobody names their kid Judas. You don't want to put that on your child. I'm not going to lie to you. When we had Gideon, Judas wasn't on the top 50 million names that we could name our child, right? Nobody wants their kid named Judas because nobody wants to put that on their child. But here's the deal. Lots of times we look at these evil characters and we write them off. Oh, Judas, he's a jerk. Caitlin was telling me a story about her, her nieces. They have this little picture book of, of Jesus and the Last Supper, and they always pick out, they say, that one's Judas because he's the one sitting in the corner by himself. But, but Christians do that. Judas is bad. Stick him in the corner by himself. But guys, ladies and gentlemen, if we are paying attention, if we are listening to what the gospel tells us, Christian, Judas ought to scare the socks off of you. Judas ought to terrify you because we learn such valuable truth from the character of Judas and his interactions with Jesus. And if we shove him off in a corner, bad Judas, sit in the corner. We won't learn these truths, truths about Jesus and truths about us. So today, we're going to learn those truths. We're going to lean in to the character of Judas. And we're going to learn the truth about relationship. Is it going? Oh, dear. Sorry, I lost. It's reconnecting here. I got the wheel of death. Don't you love that? Spinning, spinning, spinning. The truth about relationship, the truth about religion, and the truth about redemption. Judas is going to teach us about all of those things. Isn't that nice of him? So first, let's look at the truth about relationship. We talked about this in our introduction last week, right? This is all the rage in churches today, the real cultural Christianity churches, right? They love this idea, forget religion, forget religion, find God, right? Jesus didn't die for religion. He didn't die to start a religion. He died to start a relationship with you. So we throw out religion, religion bad, Judas likes religion, right? Get rid of it because it's all about relationships. But ladies and gentlemen, 
This is where Judas ought to scare us. Judas takes a big old shotgun, and he blows a hole in this idea that it's all about relationship. Because Judas walked with Jesus Christ every day of his ministry. You hear that? You got, got, you got all the disciples, right? It's all about relationship. It's just a, it's just a, a walk with Jesus. Forget, forget religion. Forget the rules. Throw all that stuff out. It's just a walk with Jesus. You just walk with Jesus. Yep, Peter walked with Jesus. John walked with Jesus. All the other 11 disciples walked with Jesus. But not Judas. He didn't walk with Jesus. But he did. Didn't he? Ladies and gentlemen, every single day, they broke bread together. They lived together. They, they did ministry together. Judas was right there. He saw all the same miracles that Peter saw. He saw Jesus do all the stuff that Peter saw. I guess he didn't see Jesus transfigured. That was the one he missed because that was just, right, Peter, James, and John. But Judas was right there with him. Judas had a relationship with Jesus. And yet, Judas was able to do this to Jesus. During supper, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, got up from supper, laid aside his garments, and taking a towel, he girded himself. Then he poured water into the basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. We made mention of this last week. This is absolutely incredible to me. It will never stop being incredible to me. But that Jesus Christ, on the night he was betrayed, on the night that he was arrested, he washed Judas's feet. That is unbelievable to me. You talk about the, the level of forgiveness that that requires. I couldn't do it. Jeremy on his own, there is no way I could do that. But Jesus forgave. Judas, he washed his feet. He served Judas. Judas was there. Judas took communion with the rest of the disciples. Jesus taught Judas, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of your sins, Judas. And like we said, it wasn't just communion. Judas broke bread with Jesus every day. Of all of the people who walked with Jesus during this time, Judas was in the inner circle. He had an intimate relationship with Judas. This is what ought to terrify us if we're paying attention. Because if Judas could go through all of the motions, if Judas could walk that closely with Jesus and still turn away, turn away to, to, to commit one of the greatest sins in the history of the world, to betray Jesus, then what's keeping us from doing the same? This idea it's all about relationship. We have got to get this right. Because Judas shows us, even with a walk that close, you can still turn away 
if you don't believe in the truth. And that's what religion shows us. It shows us the truth. Somewhere in Judas's walk with Jesus, somewhere in Judas's ministry with Jesus, Judas became disillusioned to who Jesus was. I don't believe this started at the beginning. Because if at the beginning, if, if Judas would have seen Jesus and been like, this guy's a clown, what's he know? He does some parlor tricks and everybody follows after. He would have never given up everything to follow him, right? You don't follow somebody like that. You follow someone you trust. You follow someone that you believe in. And Judas was in that inner circle. Remember we talked about with Peter last week. Jesus asks them, you know, all, he, he gives this really controversial teaching. Everybody goes away. The 12 are left. And Jesus says to them, don't you guys want to leave too? And Peter speaks up and says, where, where are we going to go, Lord? We don't, ha- we don't have anything to go to. You're all we have left. Judas was in that group. Judas gave up everything to follow Jesus. Everything. He's right up there with all the rest of them. But yet something happened in Judas's walk where the truth of Jesus violently confronted Judas's idea of Jesus. And this is the problem that we face when we talk about it just being about relationship. And anybody who is married right now says, Amen. Because when you first get married, you marry an idea of a person. When I married Jana, I married an idea that I had of Jana. And no matter how long we dated, we dated for a long time. Jana would tell you too long. But we dated for a long time. And no matter how long you date, there is nothing quite like marriage to completely crush any idea or illusion you had of that other person. Right? We go in thinking, this is what marriage is going to be like. This is going to be fun. This is going to be great. And then we get into it. Well, hold on a minute. You want me to do half the chores? That's not how this was supposed to work. I don't clean dishes. You knew that when I was in college, Jana. She's not in here, so I can talk about her right now. I don't do dishes. So stop getting upset at me when I don't do the dishes. Right? But this idea that I had of a relationship... When you get into the real relationship, that idea is always confronted, and you have two choices. You either dig in and say, I'm going to weather this, or you run away, right? Why are divorce rates so high in the United States right now? It's multifaceted. There's a lot of reasons. But the number one, we've done plenty of marriage counseling. This statistic is solid. The number one reason for divorce across the board is unmet expectations. You go into marriage thinking this is what it's going to be like, and that's not met. Those expectations aren't met. And you either stick it out or you run away. Judas had that happen with Jesus. He had this fantasy idea of what it was going to be like following Jesus. And that fantasy didn't happen. 
Because fact is, Judas wasn't following the real Jesus. He didn't have a relationship with the real Jesus. Judas, like our marriages, he had a relationship with this idea, this fantasy Jesus. A lowercase g God. A God of his choosing. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us exactly what it was that went wrong in Jesus' walk. John's a little more direct with this than any of the other gospel writers. But he tells us this in the chapter previous. This is uh, in the scene where uh, Jesus is eating with Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. And so they're, they're all gathered. The disciples are there. There's others there. And Mary breaks open this super expensive vial of perfume and pours it on Jesus' feet anointing him as it would be for his burial. But, so Mary does this, and Judas right away jumps in and says, why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor people? And then John gives us his commentary of the situation. Now, Judas said this, not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief, and he had, or, and he had the money box. He used to pilfer what was put into it. Somewhere along the lines, Judas didn't agree with what Jesus was spending his money on, with what Jesus was spending his time on. So Judas started slipping some of that money into his pocket. Somewhere along the lines, Judas stopped trusting that Jesus was able to take care of him. And so he started taking care of himself. The real Jesus, what religion tells us, what doctrine tells us, what theology tells us, violently confronted Judas's fantasy of who Jesus was going to be. And I'm afraid if we're paying attention today, ladies and gentlemen, we will find that same confrontation happening. Jesus wants to bless you. He wants to bless your socks up. He wants to fill your pockets so full of cash that those seams are going to be ripping. You're going to get a new helicopter donated to you and private jet planes. and, And that will always be confronted by the real Jesus. Always. Because fact of the matter is, eventually, our fantasy Jesus... The the lowercase g, God, that we've created in our mind, this Jesus who's a genie in a bottle, we rub the lamp and he gives us all of our wishes, all of our wildest dreams come true if we just follow him. The truth will always come out. And we get that truth from what we call religion. Because the character of Judas teaches us a great truth about religion. Now, we've got to be a little careful here, and we've got to define what religion means, because I don't, I don't want to throw everybody under the bus here and say that if you have ever heard anybody say that, that they're wrong, because I think a lot of times what they mean isn't wrong, because when people say, you know, it's all about relationship, it's not about religion, what they mean is you got to get rid of legalism, right? Being with Jesus, being a disciple of Jesus, isn't about checking boxes. It's not about living up to a standard and saying, I've got to do this right, I've got to do this right, I've got to do this right, and then I can be a disciple. 
That's not Christianity. And that's correct. The problem is when we say forget religion, when we say get rid of religion, the problem is that that leads us down a road where all of a sudden it becomes you do you, boo. You do you. Go do whatever you want. Jesus is going to forgive you anyway, so go do whatever you want. And that is not the truth. That's not true. We get to a point, and we talked about this in the introduction last week, but if, if it's just a relationship, then I can say, well, my relationship with Jesus feels a little bit different than what we read about in here, in this book. And so my feelings trump this book, so I'm just going to kind of pick and choose what I want from here. But like the stuff where Jesus says to do hard things, I'm not going to listen to any of that stuff. We can't do that. There is a truth to following Jesus, and that's what religion is. Now, religion is not used very much in the Bible. There's actually only one spot. In James 1, 26 to 27, uh, it tells us, If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not brittle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless." Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Uh, kind of a funny story, but I, there is a church that I was aware of. Um, I had a, a friend who worked there. Um, I, I followed them on Facebook, so I saw some of their stuff come out, but their big slogan, this is years and years and years ago, I don't follow them anymore, so I don't know if it's still their slogan, but their big slogan was, forget religion, find God. And so they did this sermon series once through the book of James, and so they got to this part, it's pretty early on in the book of James, because it's in James 1, they got to this part, they had to dust off, I, I can't even tell you, I actually looked for it to see if I could find it, they dusted off this obscure translation, this English translation that you'll never find in a million years if you're going through a bookstore. It's probably not even on your Bible app. But when your whole theme of your church is forget religion, find God, you can't very well talk about a Bible verse that says, if anyone thinks himself to be religious, yet does not brittle his tongue, his religion is worthless. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God is this. So they went out of their way to find a translation that said what they wanted it to say. Ladies and gentlemen, when I lay it out like that, is that the way to deal with the Word of God? To comb through, to find passages, to, to make do everything you can to make this say what you want it to say. But see, that's what we try to do when we say, forget religion. It's all about relationship. When it's a relationship, I can dictate what God says to me. When there's no truth to it, it's my truth, right? Can you see why this is so popular in today's culture? Because that's what today's culture wants. We want our truth. Don't tell me my truth is wrong. Jesus, don't tell me my truth is wrong, right? But that's exactly what religion does. That's, that's part of the reason why I love the book of James. You know, people get into this heated discussion. Lots of times they'll look at Paul's letters, you know, and Paul talks a lot about, you know, faith. You got to have faith. And then they get to James and it's kind of like, wait a minute, this contradicts what Paul was saying. 
Paul was saying we're not under the law anymore, but James is over here talking like we still got stuff we got to do. And the, the thing is, Paul and James are writing to do two different people, two different churches, two different groups, right? Multiple different groups, actually, because Paul wrote to a bunch of different churches. But I think James is writing to people who've got the same problem that we do today. People who've got this cheap grace mentality. That when I choose to follow Jesus, I get to follow him, but I get to do whatever I want still. Right? It's like a buffet following Jesus. I can take a little bit of that. I can take a little bit of that. But I don't have to take any of that. I don't, want, don't give me any of the salad. I don't want any of that. Just give me the meat. That's what I want. But that's not how Jesus is. And that's what James lays out. So when James says, faith without works is dead, that's what he's saying. He's saying, yes, you have to have faith to follow Jesus. But following Jesus looks a particular way. Because Jesus isn't going to lead you into sin. Jesus isn't going to lead you into half-truths. Jesus will only lead you into the truth right? What does Jesus tell his disciples? What's the number one job of the Holy Spirit? He tells them, guys, don't worry. The Holy Spirit's going to come, and he will lead you into all truth, right? That's the Holy Spirit's job, which means the Holy Spirit can't lead you into a lie. So if you're being led into this garbage that says, I can do whatever I want, I can, I can, you know, I can love whoever I want. I can live however I want. I can say whatever I want because it's just about the relationship. It's just about faith. That's not the Holy Spirit leading you into that. The Holy Spirit will not lead you into that lie. He can only lead you into truth. That is his job. That's what he does. This is what James is talking about. It's interesting to me because I, you know, I, I watch people read the book of James, and we, we like certain parts of the book of James, and we don't like others, right? There's, there's the one verse from James that says, draw close to God, and he will draw close to you, right? We love that verse, right? But the back half of that verse that no one quotes, we always cut it off there, draw close to God, and he will draw close to you, because then immediately after that, in the same verse, James says, and wash your hands, sinners. Purify your hearts. Well, hold on a second. That, that sounds like there's still a standard to live up to. There is. There is still a truth. Now, here's the great news. This is what the gospel says. Because of the Holy Spirit, I don't have to live up to it. It's the Holy Spirit in me that gives me the power to live up to it. Because guys, if I try to love like Jesus, if I try to live the truth like Jesus, I will fail. It's just a matter of time. You may do good for a couple days, but you will fail. You have to stay surrendered to the Holy Spirit at all times. He's the only one who can work that out in you. See, fact of the matter is, and this, this, goes, this isn't just with God, with any relationship that you have, there is a truth to that relationship. The second I married Jana, there is a truth. I can't be attracted to other women anymore, right? 
I can't, at, at least I can't follow those attractions. I can't, I can't chase after other women. When I married Jana, I said, all other women are off limits. Well, that's not very open-minded. It's what marriage is, right? That's what a relationship is. And that's what religion does. Religion says, I'm coming to Jesus for a relationship, but I'm coming on his terms. Right? This relationship with Jesus, the fatal error that Christians make today, and non-Christians too, is that I get to dictate terms of a relationship with Jesus. And it goes back to what we talked about with Peter. Peter knew that Jesus Christ was Lord. If Jesus Christ is the Lord of the universe, who in the world do I think I am that I get to dictate terms for him to have me? It's not how it works. Jesus gets to dictate those terms. When I come to Jesus, I come to him on those terms. So if Jesus tells me that I am to be faithful to one woman for the rest of my life, that's the term that I agree to, to follow him. If Jesus says that I am to obey him in everything from this point forward, those are the terms that I am to listen to from this day forward. And the grace is that Jesus has given me the gift of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit to obey, to do all of that to take those sinful desires away, to take the flesh away so that I can walk in him. The last thing that we see in Judas, Judas teaches us the truth about redemption. Last week we talked about the offensiveness of grace, right? How offensive Peter found grace. Not offensive because the grace did something that Peter didn't agree with, but offensive because Peter knew he was so dirty. Peter knew that he was so stained that there was no way he could ever become before a holy and perfect God. Peter found Jesus' grace absolutely offensive. But here's the thing that Peter did right he still came. Right? Peter looked at himself and said, I am a monster. Sin has turned me into an absolute monster. But Jesus, I am still going to come. Jesus, I am not worth it. I don't understand it. I don't know why you've called me, but you've called me, and I'm still going to come. But we see that vital element missing in Judas's walk. We see it in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 27. It says, When Judas, who had betrayed him, Jesus, saw that Jesus had been condemned, he felt remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. But they said, What is that to us? See to that yourself. And he threw the pieces of silver into the temple sanctuary and departed. And he went away and hanged himself. Judas felt remorse, right? 
there's, there's almost a level you read this and, and you think, maybe Judas didn't think that Jesus was going to be convicted of this. Maybe Judas betrayed Jesus because he thought, there's no, there, there's, this guy's perfect, there's no way they're going to get anything on him. But when he saw that Jesus was condemned, he felt remorse. He felt bad. But then what did Judas do? He turned away. You know, Jack Hayford, one of my favorites, he, he says that the difference between condemnation and conviction. Condemnation pushes you away from God. Conviction draws you into God. Judas felt condemnation. He knew he had screwed up, but he let that push him away from God. He didn't let the Holy Spirit convict him and draw him closer. Judas did what we Christians do. He turned away from God when he needed him the most. So, many, so often that's exactly what we do, isn't it? If you're, if you're serving legalism, legalistically serving God, when you're doing good, when you're hitting all the marks, when you haven't said your swear words, when you've donated, you've given your 10%, you know, you've done a good job, when you've done well, you have no problem going to church. You have no problem coming before God in prayer. But the second you slip up, oh man, let's see, Lamentations tells us his mercies are new every morning, so I'm just going to wait till tomorrow morning and then I'll start praying again. We turn away when we need him most. Instead of running before him, instead of saying, God, I know I just screwed up. I know I just messed up and I know I'm not worthy. You're, guys, you're never worthy. Did you know that? Even when you do a good job, you're still not worthy. But we run to him anyway. Judas didn't run to Jesus. He ran away from him. We talked about that, that image that he had of Jesus. The truth of Jesus confronted that image. And Judas had to make a choice. Do I run to Jesus or do I run away from him? Can I ask you right now, what do you do when Jesus does something that you don't like? What do you do? What have you done when Jesus answers a prayer contrary to what you've been praying? What do you do when Jesus doesn't get involved in your situation as much as you would like? Maybe it's just a story in the Bible that you read and it makes you uncomfortable. God, I really don't like how you handled that situation. Why did you do it like that? Maybe it's a rule in the Bible that you don't like. That's an archaic rule. That was for them back then. It's not, it's not now. What do you do when Jesus, when the true Jesus, when religion tells you something you don't like? Do you run away from God or do you run towards him? Because what you do in those moments shows a great deal of what you really think of Jesus. Whether you're looking to him to be your Lord or he's just a genie in a bottle. Religion has a way of confronting our fantasies about Jesus. 
And the true Jesus always destroys those fantasies. Because here's the secret to Christianity. Your wildest dream of who Jesus is, is still not good enough. Jesus is so much better than anything you could dream up about him. You just have to let him prove it. You've got to lean in. We have too many Judas Christians in the church today. Christians who are running away from the true Jesus when Jesus doesn't give us the blessed life we think we deserve. We refuse to come to him when we need him most. When he confronts us with a false idea that we had about him. When he wrecks our fantasy. When he shows us our sin and asks us to correct it. Instead of falling at his feet and acknowledging him as the Lord of our lives, like Peter did, we let our sin and remorse keep us from accepting his grace. We let our fantasy keep us from redemption. Judas refused redemption. This is the craziest thing. This is completely guessing. I have absolutely no proof because this isn't how the story went. But I do know Jesus. I know him pretty well. If Judas had run out of that temple after throwing the 30 pieces back at at the priest's feet, if Judas had run out of that temple and ran to where Jesus was, hanging on the cross, still in court, wherever Jesus was, if Judas had ran to Jesus, I have 100% faith that Jesus would have forgiven him. Because that's who Jesus is. But Judas went and hanged himself. He went and took his life into his own hands in the ultimate act of selfishness. To say, my life is my own and I get to choose what I want with it. And he hanged himself. I don't know what you're walking through right now, but I do know that we all have skeletons. We all have areas that we've slipped up in. We all have areas that the Holy Spirit is confronting us, telling us, here's the real Jesus. Let go of your fantasy. Let go of your tradition. Let go of your false religion. Find the real God. Find the real religion. Find the truth. Ladies and gentlemen, the Holy Spirit wants to lead you into that truth more than you want to go, right? Let him lead you into it. But you have to make that choice. The Holy Spirit is not going to force you to make that decision. You have to make the choice. Do you keep your fantasy of Jesus intact? Or do you turn to the true and living God? This is Jesus. With Pilate, we say, behold the man. 
this is your God. This is who the Holy Spirit is asking you to turn to. I beg you to turn to him. Whatever it is that he's confronting you, I beg you to turn to him. Don't let it push you away like it did Judas. Turn to him and live. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, I pray right now that in every single one of us that you would confront any fantasy we have in our minds of what a relationship with you looks like. God, any way that we have, that we have come up with this false image of who you are, Holy Spirit, set it right. Convict us, show us where we've gone wrong, and draw us into you, Jesus. Tear everything else away, every other idea, every other dream, every other fantasy. Tear it away, Jesus, and show us the true and living God. Father, I pray that we would get such a clear picture of who you are that there would be no turning back from this point forward. Help every single one of us, God, to turn to you. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Gospel House Podcast. We pray that you are pointing to Jesus and will apply what you learn to look more like him each and every day. If you found today's message impactful, do us a favor and hit the follow button, leave us a rating, and write up a review to help others find our podcast. You can also help us by sharing the podcast so that together we can show the world that the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Head to our website, www.thegospel.house backslash connect. Fill out the form and someone from our Gospel House family will connect with you. God bless you. And remember, the gospel of Jesus Christ is always enough.